Hi everyone, welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spoffer, joined as always by my trusted colleague Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, it is minicamp week. That means a couple of things. Number one, three days, mandatory minicamp. All the players required to be in attendance here at 1265 Lombardi Avenue. But it's also the conclusion of the off-season program after this week. The players are then off until the start of training camp. So as the off-season wraps up, so to speak, is there anything in particular you'll be looking for out on the practice field this week? Well, I just want to point out, since this is the last week of the off-season program, on Friday afternoon, that screeching you'll hear from the Lambeau Field parking lot (laughs) will be my car zipping away, (laughs) getting ready to, to go into the summer here and and get away for a bit, but first vacation goes to him. That after that, then I'm gonna try to get out of here for a few days. Then he's too. gone. <laughs> this, is, this is what it comes down to, right? That's right? Five weeks, get it where you can take it. Right. Uh, but no, you're right. I mean, it's it's always an interesting uh, sort of week in terms of. It sounds like this year, for the most part, a lot of the installs are in. So I don't know if there's going to be so much reviewing. The way Mike McCarthy usually did it, this usually ended up being like installs five, six, or was it five, six, seven, and eight? I think a lot of times it could be the last slate of them. Uh, almost like the last review period, McCarthy typically dismissed the veterans and then would just focus on working with the younger players. Matt LaFleur has already said that he's expecting the veterans that they will be here this week just because the new system going in year two of the defense, they want to have those guys here. Yeah, McCarthy certainly didn't dismiss all the veterans his first couple of years. Yeah, it was more towards the the latter half of his program. So Matt LaFleur, he wants to maximize his time. He understands the value in it. The only true difference is I think practices can go a little bit longer. Players are obligated to be here uh, under the construct of the CBA. So the last chance to get in some really good work here before you get into the summer for a little bit and back for training camp when we really start cooking with gas. Yeah, that would that'll be that'll be the time that things really take off and I think uh you know, the first couple of days of training camp will still be no pads and there'll be that that grace period, that easing into right. uh, to full speed training camp, full contact training camp. But then we'll start to really get a sense of where the Packers are here with regard to Matt LaFleur's scheme and year two of Mike Pettin's defense and all of that. So uh, we'll have our eyes on the practice field this week and see exactly what's going on as things wrap up. But want to get to some sponsor business here, Wes. The Green Bay Packers get ready for game day with the powerful noise-canceling technology of Bose QuietComfort 35 Headphones 2. Learn more at www.bose.com Packers. Bose, the official headphones of the Green Bay Packers. And at Homer here in the stands, we all know that Green Bay fans give it their all, and that takes a lot of energy. So grab a warm bowl of Campbell's Chunky Soup. Its meaty goodness fuels the greatness of Packers fans everywhere. Try the delicious classic chicken noodle soup. Just visit your local supermarket and ask for Campbell's Chunky Soup, official soup partner of the Green Bay Packers. Okay, moving on, Wes. I know there are a lot of times on this show we tell the fans to, hey, check this out on the website. You know, you'll like this, watch this. But I'm telling you, folks, you need to give yourself a good half an hour, about 20 minutes of reading time, 10 minutes of video time, maybe an extra five minutes to wipe away some tears because you have to go on Packers.com and check out the piece that Weston Hodkowitz here put together on a former Packers tight end, Mitchell Henry, and his story, which was tragically cut short by an illness a couple of years ago. Wes, you flew to E-Town, Elizabethtown, Kentucky, 
right at the end of the NFL, right after the NFL yeah. draft. It was the day after. The it was draft, the day right? after. You hopped on a plane with. I uh, don't know how Mike Vandersnick's still talking to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Mike Vandersnick, one of our videographers here in uh, the Packers.com broadcast department, accompanied Wes to E Town, Kentucky. You put together, really, you visited with all kinds of people who were uh, a big part of Mitchell Henry's life and uh, put together his uh, his whole story. And for those who don't know about it, um, certainly go on the website and check it out. What I wanted to ask you, Wes, is when you go through a long reporting process like this and everything that was involved in it, there are a lot of things that happen, whether it's behind the scenes, this and that, that don't necessarily make it into the final product. So is there something like that from that will stick out in your memory banks in terms of what you went through in the process uh, and how you went about putting the story together that maybe hasn't seen the light of day just yet? It's a really good question, Mike, and, and I'll answer that in one moment. I want to set it up a little bit by just explaining why exactly I was going catfishing because it ties into that answer. <laughs> yes, um, the catfishing trip. So I, you, I think, I don't know how much you got to talk to, to Mitchell Henry when he came in at 15, but he was considered one of the top undrafted players the Packers drafted, had, had signed that year after the 2015 draft. Right. And I Tight got end out of Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky uh, played with Jack Doyle. A uh, lot of lot of good tight ends have come through there. Tyler Higby uh, also now with the LA Rams was in that same time right right after Mitchell I think. Okay. So what's interesting about Mitchell's story is that summer training camp it gets long right. So you get in twenty practices. Uh, you start getting into mid August and people are looking for storylines. Well. For Charles Mitchell Henry, it, it became the storyline about him being a cat fisherman and a noodler. I think Aaron Rodgers brought it up. I know Jerry Fontenot, the tight ends coach at the time, brought it up. Ron Zook, I think, brought it up. Um, and I got to know Mitchell a little bit. I got to know his brother, Ben, a little bit through the process, and I had just joked with him uh, near the end of training camp because although he had broken his hand, it still looked like he might have a decent shot to make the roster. Yeah. Did play well on special teams as maybe a third option at tight end. I just, I just off the cuff, I mentioned him. Well, you know what? If you make the roster, this is after I wrote a story on him. I was like, you make the roster, I'll come down, I'll go catfishing with you and your dad. And we both laughed it off. And Mitchell, I'll never forget the words he said. He's like, you know, I know, I know my dad. He'd, he'd be happy to take you. So I recount the story in inbox. Yeah. Uh, this was last June, and I just said, someone a really astute question in inbox. Probably one of my favorite questions someone's really ever asked in the three years I've been doing that was, is there any stories you really enjoyed from undrafted players that you just never got to tell because then they got cut? For me, it was Mitchell Henry. I wrote that, and a month later, Terry Henry, his father, wrote back to me and basically said, I have not been catfishing since Mitchell passed away, but I know he'd want me to ask you to come along. So I stayed in contact with the family. March rolls around, April rolls around. They still want to do it. So we go down to Elizabethtown, Kentucky, 45 minutes outside of it, little lake called Taylorsville Lake. I wrote it in my second graph of the story. It looks like something out of a Clint Eastwood Western. It really does. It looks like a scene out of Outlaw Josie Wales. <laughs> um, the answer to your question that you said, the, the story that stays with me the most is myself and our videographer, Mike Vandershnick, you have to, if you're catfishing, you don't just go and throw some lines out and then just you know have some fun. It's actually a lot of work, is what I found <laughs> out. We had to put down four lines. Uh, we put them down little banks of the river or lake. Go back to our our rental car. Fortunately, Mitchell's brother Ben was nice enough to bring us some some pillows and sleeping bags. So Vandershnick and I slept in the front seat of the rental car for two whole hours. 
got up at three, or I'm sorry, got up at one. So we went to bed at 11, got up at one, went and checked the lines, got three catfish, rebate the lines, go back to our car, sleep for another two hours, get up at six, do it again the next morning. My favorite part of this little story is the fact that <laughs> I had to wash out my clothes three times to get the smell of catfish out of them <laughs> because it was just so pronounced. And, and I was trying to run in one of the shirts. I'm like, I can still smell the catfish. But it was such an incredible journey to be a part of. And I knew Mitchell a little bit, but getting to know his dad, his brother, his, his lovely wife, Madison, his mom, Leslie, his friends and family, so many people I talked to for this story. You don't fully appreciate every day is what I learned yeah. through this process. And Mike Savage, his high school football coach, his, his youth football coach, said, you know, you have a bad day and things hang with you that shouldn't hang with you. And you think about what Mitchell Henry went through with acute myeloid leukemia, AML, seven-month battle, everything it did to challenge him, and the faith that he showed, the courage that he showed, the strength that he showed in the face of that is always something that's going to stick with me. This was, I don't want to say I became emotionally invested in the story. I'm still a journalist at heart. I try not to do that. But getting to know the family and being there and and, and in the Henry's house and in Madison's house, so many times we write an obituary and you forget weeks pass, months pass, and you just move on. And there's a quote that Madison says in both the video and the story about it's, for me, it's not moving on, it's moving forward. Right. And that stuck with me. And I think that's always going to stick with me. Yeah. Because it's just, there's things in your life that touch you. It doesn't have to be death, it doesn't have to be that, but things that shape you. And seeing how that family has persevered and endured and has attempted to heal uh, after going through such a terrible, terrible loss at a terribly young age, um, it it has an impact on you. It certainly had an impact on me. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that I liked the most about the story, the way you did it, whether you're talking about the video that was put together. And certainly hats off to Adam Habel Heinrich, Mike <laughs> Atkinson. We already mentioned Mike Vandersnick, their involvement in putting that video together. Some outstanding work there. But... As journalists, you you said the word obituary. We've all written stories about people who have passed away. It's it's part of the business. It's it's something that we've all done. What I liked about your story, though, is this wasn't just telling the story of Mitchell and everything that happened to him. It was also the story of how Mitchell impacted so many other people, not only as as a kid and a great athlete and somebody everybody loved to then someone everybody wanted to root for because he had a shot at the NFL, to then everything he went through with his illness and trying to fight it and with his wife and his dog and all of these kinds of things that the, all the pieces that went into it, um, you know, it, it, it really is emotional and, and um, there's no avoiding that. The other thing I'd like to ask you though, is I know as we've all been through, these types of processes before as writers or as videographers for that matter um speaking of the guys who put together the video there are always things that don't make it that yeah. end up on the cutting room yeah. floor so to speak i know i'm sure from talking, to, <laughs> from talking to his coaches and family members and everything i'm sure you got some stories and some anecdotes that 
you know, just didn't quite fit or maybe you didn't have room for in terms of the way you told the story. So is there one of those anecdotes from those folks about Mitchell or some encounter with him uh, when he was alive that uh, um, that you think is uh, worth sharing here? So naturally, because this is the way I always do things on Unscripted, you give me a question, then I answer it a different way. There's probably three, honestly, okay. that, that stand out to me. Well, that's and okay. They're from three different stages of his life. The first one that I really wish I could have gotten in the story, but it just didn't work out, uh, his childhood friend Dylan and him used to go frog gigging. I think I got that right. Frog gigging. Gigging. Okay. Which is, you know, so he's a big cat fisherman. He loves hunt doors, uh, he, hunting, everything like that. He also liked to go catch frogs. And, and Dylan had this great story, and it, 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 it unfortunately got cut out last minute because it was already a 5,000-word story, and we're trying to keep it centered. But he had this phenomenal story about how, you know, Mitchell, even at a young age, he was fearless, man. He didn't care. <laughs> so, like, they'd go out in these bogs, and they'd be gigging. And I know people from Kentucky are going to watch this and be like, oh, my gosh, you're making a fool of yourself. But they'd be going after these frogs. <laughs> and Mitchell would have his waders on, and he'd be swimming through this water going after these frogs. And Dylan was telling me that he's like, I'd be sitting there petrified because I didn't want to put my hands in there because there's snakes and all these other the wildlife things. Mitchell didn't care about that at all. <laughs> he was just all about the outdoors. He loved every single bit of it. And didn't he was just he was fearless in that way. In it for the game. In it for the game. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The the other thing, uh, just to touch on quickly in his time in Green Bay, I had one of our uh, Packers. Uh, we you know there's a number of equipment people that work with Red Batty down there, and, and and different kids that come through, and different guys that come through and help him out. There was one that texted me after the story ran, and he just he had such a great little snippet saying that out of every rookie uh, UFA whatever that's come through there. You will not find anyone kinder than Mitchell Henry. The way he carried himself, you saw it. The yep. way he walked around the locker room, he was just such a humble and and just everyday kind of guy that he just happened to be trying to play in the NFL, but he's just the type of guy that if, if you're in at home, he's just the guy you kind of would hang out with and have a good time with. And, and just, he was getting a lot of media attention because he's he trying to make the team with a broken hand. Yeah, that was a great story, If you look too. at in, in the video, you see some of the pictures. He's got the big club on his hand. Yeah. This is a tight end who's trying to catch passes yeah. and trying to throw blocks and trying to make the team as an undrafted rookie, and he got put in some pretty yes. difficult circumstances there, and he still almost made right. it. Yeah. yeah, and it's just... It's, it's incredible how those things work out. The last thing, and it's unfortunately more on the somber note, was that Mitchell, throughout his illness, it didn't matter if he was originally in E-Town or when he went to Lexington and then finally to MD Anderson in Houston, uh, one of the top cancer facilities in the country, yeah. he always kept a little journal. Um, and a lot of times, and, and I, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to get preached or anything like that, but a lot of times it would just basically be conversations he was having centered on his faith and his religion. Whatever, you know, I, I, again, I'm not trying to push anything on anybody, but how devoted he was and how he never steered away from you know what he believed in. I, I got to be honest with you, Michael. If I'm in his shoes and I'm somebody that truly was devout and you know I'm I'm so focused on being a really humble and, and good person, and that something like that hits me, I think it would really challenge me. It would challenge me yeah. for why asking why. Mitchell never asked why. And I, I just, I can't imagine the amount of strength that that takes to be able to still have that kind of character. Never, if people called him, this was in the story, but if people called him, 
He never let on if he was sick. He never let on to how he was feeling. He never complained about how he was feeling. He always tried to make it more about the other person yeah. so that when they hung up the phone, they would feel good about where things are at. To the point, James Harris, high school basketball coach, even told me his last conversation with him, when he talked to them, he's, when he found out that he had passed away, he's like, I had talked to him two weeks later, two weeks earlier. What happened? And his mom, Leslie, then told James, well, if you were talking to, to Mitchell, someone was probably holding the phone up for him because he just didn't have that kind of strength. Yeah. And th- those are the things that stay with me the most. And I, I just... <sighs> he was a good human being that I hope with this story, my, my main intention for this story is that people understand, one, there's human beings behind these helmets doesn't matter if you're a first-round pick. doesn't matter if you're Rashawn Gary. doesn't matter if you're the 90th man on the roster. These are human beings that walk into this locker room with families, with lives, with things that go beyond the field of play. And in my opinion, I humbly submit that, that Mitchell Henry was one of the best of them. From everything that we've known, from the way he carried himself, the stories that people tell, you would have to walk many miles, Michael, to find anybody that's going to say something negative about Mitchell Henry. And for him to lead that kind of life and have that kind of success that he did and never changed him. You wanted him back in E-Town to talk to a high school basketball team. He left Green Bay, Wisconsin. He drove seven and a half hours to get there to do it because that's just the guy he is. That's the, yeah. that's the kid that Terry and Leslie Henry raised. And I, Again, it's, it's a story that 5, 10, 12 years, and I hope people read it. I hope people check it out, but it's one that's definitely going to stick with me. Yeah, it's definitely going to stick with me too, and, and I didn't know Mitchell certainly as, as well as you did, but uh, reading all the work that you did, everything you put into it, the video that was put together, just outstanding work. My cap is off to you, my friend. Yeah, thank so. you, and it's, uh, it's something too that it is, it is sort of fun. Uh, it's probably the wrong word to say, but it, it was interesting too, like reminiscing a little bit. I got a chance to sit down with Brian Gutekunst last couple weeks ago, and him kind of like going through some of the stories about what they liked about him as a football player yeah, and where the they thought he could potentially help. Scouting report, yeah. Uh, th- those are those are fun stories to do, and in, in, in terms of just kind of understanding that side of the game too, like mm-hmm. where this kid could have really potentially, um, you know, had a career for himself. Brian Gutekun said he really thought, you know, if, if things played out a little bit differently, if the injuries hadn't mounted, this was a guy that really had a chance, and that's such a small part of Mitchell's story. There's a bigger story there. Yeah. But just kind of understanding uh, that aspect of it and knowing that, okay, every year there's going to be another 15 to 20 undrafted free agents that kind of come, come into this building. And, and they might not always have the story Mitchell has, but those are, I think, what make this game special because it's what gives them – it gives these teams – I don't want to call it humanity. That's the wrong word. But it just – it really drives home the point that this is a game. This is something that you're going to do for a very short time. It grounds you. It grounds you. Yeah. And and once you move on, you have to be able to live a, a happy and positive life. And in Mitchell Henry's case, while it was short, what he did in those short 24 years have really made a profound impact on those who knew him. Yeah, no question about it. With that, we're going to call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team and certainly check out Wes's great piece on Mitchell Henry on Packers.com. Subscribe to us, like us on iTunes and other podcast services if you don't mind. On Twitter, he's at Wes Hod. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>